is where we're at. Um, we had wanted to follow Derek Thomas's schedule. Um, I think Josh is going to call Dr. Thomas and give him a word or two about how this is a little too fast. Isn't that what you're doing later on? To, yeah, yeah, to let him yeah. let him know it's hard to yeah get this much covered. But uh, oh, what a unbelievable passage again today and I know we say that every week and it just it just feels like this please please if you could just with me uh, with we pray before Josh if you would read the passage as we pray just thank the Lord that we have these kind of insights to know how to handle suffering because good night are we going to have suffering in our lives that's guaranteed in this world there will be well troubles but take heart, I've overcome the world. Um, second uh, Timothy 3.12 says um, that there's going to be persecution <clears throat> to any life, right? So this, anybody that's a believer. So it is a proof um, to the believer in Romans 8. We're talking so much about security of how the Lord gives us grace through these struggles, through this suffering, that then you know that uh, that that he he loves you, and that he's going to be there in the middle of them um, to to help you through. So um, let me pray for us. And Josh, uh, I'd love to hear um, verse seventeen to to twenty five, or we would, and then uh, then we'll get to work. So, okay, Father, I'm so thankful. This is uh, um, a glorious passage, and they all have been um, as we think about just. Well, we've uh, seen in Romans so far, Lord, you have convinced us that we are deeply um, sinful. Um, no one does good, no, not one. We've all sinned and fall short of your glory. And yet, um, despite our sin, while we were still sinners, Christ would die for us. It's, it's unimaginable and then free us from this sin that has uh, so easily entangled us. Thanks be to you that you have rescued us from this body of sin. And now that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, we could not be more thankful to be able to feast on this and to be able to enjoy this. And so today, Lord, we ask that you would warm our hearts to the truth and that... um, our hearts would once again be thrilled by um, what you've done in us and what you're willing to do through us, even in the midst of trials and especially as we look forward to glory. And so, Lord, we commit um, this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Josh. So I'll start in verse 16 of chapter 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? If we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Good deal. Um, suffering and glory. Boyce calls um, it the hurts and the hallelujahs. Right? You feel probably some of both of them um, going on. And Schreiner says it's the pathway by which hope is obtained. That's suffering. It's the pathway through which hope is obtained. And I think it's right, Scott. I cannot wait to hear your thoughts continuing from 17 here. Yeah, I mean, just verse 17. I, I just read the beginning. I think Jerry's the, the suffering. you got to got to unleash him, as Josh said. But I'll just read the beginning of 17. And if children, then heirs heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. And I mentioned this last time, but one pastor just said, if you haven't felt your heart soaring already, like as you've studied Romans, the first 16 verses, he said, be prepared to go ahead and attach your wings because you're going to soar, you're going to fly in these verses. I mean, you're going to be stirred like you're saying if you really consider this. But in just 17, he uses the word heir three times. And particular Ferguson was just like, he's trying to press upon us. Do you realize the privilege that is ours as children of God? This, this glorious inheritance, this absolutely mind-blowing inheritance that is in front of us, uh, so I think even just right there at the beginning, the, the word air, he's trying to impress, this is incredible. Like, do, do we realize what, what's going on here? Um, and I think one, one guy just said, if you are an heir of God, what you are going to inherit makes what Bill Gates has look like a Lincoln Log building. They have nothing compared to what you are about to inherit. I mean, if we really would consider this, it is absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, and then Derek Thomas quoted this hymn. I thought this hymn was, was great. He said, uh, the hymn goes like this, I, was, I once was an outcast, stranger on earth, a sinner by choice, and an alien by birth. That's the bad news. It's just a reminder of our condition, pre-conversion, and then the good news. But I've been adopted. My name's written down. An heir to a mansion, a robe, and a crown. A tent or a cottage? Why should I care? They're building a palace for me over there. Though exiled from home, yet still may I sing all glory to God. I'm a child of the king. And my question would be simply, our inheritance that is to come, how big is it on the horizon of our daily lives? I mean, if it's big and, and glorious and huge, it will impact us. It will make our lives so different. But if it's small and tiny and distant, it's just not going to have the same, the same impact on us. So I think we need to regularly marinate on this inheritance that is, that is to come. Uh, I, I've been reading this, this Puritan guy. Uh, he said, Oh, what life would it put into a Christian's endeavors if he were to think often of his everlasting treasure? We have this glorious prize. You insert inheritance before us. We should run, strive, fight in light of this inheritance. What kind of men do you think Christians would be in their lives and duties if they kept this glory fresh in their thoughts? What frame would their spirits be in if their thoughts of heaven were lively and believing? So I just think we've we got to have this vision of this inheritance, this grand and glorious, and we want to think about it often, and it will impact us. Yeah. Josh, you love the Puritans? Um, um. <laughs> Those guys seem to have a, a different grasp on it. Yeah. How do you think they got there? What? And that you probably have some other stuff too, but I'm curious from the Puritans because they lived with that. Yeah, I, I think they lived in a. We talked about it. They lived in a world of death and disease and suffering and trials was just part of the, part of how um, they lived on a day to day basis. And so I think maybe it it forced them to look at our eternal inheritance a little bit more. Uh, just reading and studying this week, you come across, for me, studying Rome as these phrases that are not maybe naturally something I'd think about. Like, what does it mean to be, uh, you know, the ESV translates it, 
heirs of God. You know, just a three simple words, heirs of God. What does that mean? And I uh, was really helped by Steve Lawson and some other pastors. But he, he said, an heir is someone legally entitled to the property and possessions of the estate, you know, humanly speaking. And that's uh, someone who will receive the inheritance, something passed down from the benefactor to the beneficiary in its entirety. And um, someone who will receive the allotted portion that's uh, due to them. And so Paul takes that and says, we're heirs of God. And he listed... Uh, or Boyce listed a few things, a few benefits of, of this inheritance. We have a heavenly home, uh, a heavenly banquet. We'll rule with Christ. We'll, um, we'll have our, our, a likeness to Christ. We'll be, we shall behold him and we shall see him as he is and be made like him. Uh, but we have God himself. And it's a remarkable thing, like you're saying, Scott, just to think about this. Um, Boyce quoted this friar who said at the end of his life, giving his um, last sort of will and testament, he said, I owe much, I possess nothing, and I give the rest to the poor. And he contrasted that with God, how different it is with God. God owes nothing, he possesses everything, and gives it all to his children. And it was just, you know, just thinking about that little phrase this week, heirs of God, has been really good. <clears throat> good deal, Grant. I think I'll jump back in later. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. the uh, I love that what Boyce said um, that Josh was talking about because I wanted to skip a page ahead because he says, these are the lesser things that we get. And then he listed those four. The, um, the heavenly home. And I thought, that's the lesser thing? Like, I couldn't wait to get to the next page. Okay, so what's the greater thing if we're talking about these? And the four lesser things were the heavenly home, the heavenly banquet, rule with Christ, Likeness to Christ. Now I'm thinking that, though, I mean, those are not lesser. Those are the greater things. But then even the greater thing than that was to inherit God himself, to be with God. And that, I think, it, it struck me in a new way. Maybe going back to your thoughts, Scott, are, are just meditating on that, thinking about that would really help us to have more of an eternal perspective to think about that but you know what's exciting i think we talked about this before but the holy spirit is the down payment for that yeah i think he mentioned that in their voice that that the holy spirit himself that now resides in you is the down payment which which means god himself has to be the inheritance right because he's already given us god as the as the down payment is God himself. So when I try to think about because a down payment usually is a percentage of what's coming, right? I think you would say that. A deposit. Well, what is coming? If we already have the Holy Spirit living in us, that's just astounding, Scott. No, yeah, I agree. Keep, keep going. Well, no, I, I don't have anything. <laughs> but I know we're not done at 2.11. Josh. Uh, yeah, but maybe, you know, it's like Paul continually layers it on. It keeps getting better. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Um, and so I, Steve Lawson again was saying Christ is the principal main heir. Everything that was transferred to Christ will be transferred to us. We will share in that inheritance. You think about the Great Commission. Christ has been given all authority. And everything on the earth, Christ has been given authority over and um, we enjoy some initial down payments of this inheritance now in this life, 
uh, but the fullness of it we will experience in the next life uh, in its entirety. Good, Grant. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any more on that, but because it, it seems like in verse 17 we have this mountaintop height where heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, and then there's this sort of hinge where it seems like, oh, it goes back down, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And we'll see that it doesn't actually go back down because Paul brings it back up in verses 18. Uh, but it does seem like the expectation is for the Christian there will be suffering. I think this is probably what Mark was getting at, suffering for the sake of Christ, not just suffering uh, in general, because it's provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. But any, any thoughts on that, on the suffering aspect? This guy right well, here, I, yeah. I think it's, I love it that you say that it's downhill for what, um, like four or five words, right? Yeah. And then right back to verse 18. And if you go to 18, for I consider that the suffering of this present time, I love it when he starts that. This is what we have to consider. This is what Paul considers. This is what makes him such a rock as he goes through more suffering than I imagine the 30 of us have gone through together is what he went through probably weekly, right? And, and he considered that the suffering of the present time are not even worth comparing with the glory. Like it's not a comparison what we have to look forward to. And I love the boy said, it's interesting here that it's not even comparable. We are not going today to be even able to understand it. It's just so much better when you think about the glory that, that's coming. And so that wouldn't you want, because it's true, wouldn't you want to fix your eyes on that? Right? Wouldn't you want to think about that? Amy has a big old sign. It's about as big as you could allow in our living room that says, Think eternally on the, above the fireplace because that seems like that better be the key. And if we're not doing it, then uh, I think you and I, and, and I am a complete hypocrite in how often I don't do that, but so many times if our eyes are fixed on our sufferings, it's going to be hard. If our eyes are fixed on the eternal, though, those sufferings are going to be seen in a whole different way. I love the voice he, he gave a whole bunch of things. It's incomparable, number one. So we're not going to really grasp it down here. Um, increasing joy. This is help from Jonathan Edwards that he believes when you're talking about this glory, that it increases for all eternity. That as we're in heaven, it's not as good as it gets when you go to heaven. That for all of eternity, as since God is our inheritance, see if this um, kind of logic makes sense. I think it does. That you continue to know God better all through eternity. And because he is infinitely glorious, we continue to just get to know him throughout eternity. Can you imagine that? A billion years in, how much joy we'll have, but it's not like we'll have the next day or the next day if you can do days in eternity. And so you just think about that and to say, and all of a sudden, if I get lost in that thought, going back to what you're saying, Scott, then all of a sudden, wait a second. My ingrown toenail is not quite such a big deal, right? That problem that I got going on at work, that's way, way lesser than how great things are. We have to compare. Be a full-time comparer, right, with what you have going on down here, packed with trials. 
It's got to be. I mean, you you and I, we're all living in the same world, and it's sinful, right, every day. But if you will, and if I will think, if we'll fix our eyes on the eternal instead of the temporal, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal way to glory, right? That's how you get there, is through sufferings. Sufferings are never, ever, ever a bad deal in the, in the life of the believer. They're handpicked. They are perfectly tailor-made for every one of us by our Heavenly Father who loves us deeply. They're going to be different for everybody, but they're going to be perfect. And He never disciplines us in a wrong way. He never trains us in a wrong way. He is preparing us for glory. He is um, pointing us that direction through every trial. And if you're like me, almost all the time, the more suffering that I'm experiencing, the more I have to raise to Him. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've got my wings on right now. You're, you're helping me fly. I mean, it's just so joyful just to think about that. I mean, the ever-increasing joy. Yeah. It's astounding. But uh, Doug Moo was so good on this. He said, we must, Paul suggests, weigh suffering in the balance with the glory that is the final state of every believer. So you have the scale, you've got, you've got our suffering, and you've got the glory to come. And he said, and so weighty, so wonderful is this glory that suffering flies in the air as if it had no weight at all. I just love that. The suffering, no matter how much you suffer in this life, it's, it's like nothing compared to the glory because it's the eternal weight of glory that is to come. But then thinking about who said this, Paul is the person who, who wrote this. Three times he was shipwrecked, a night and day adrift at sea. He was stoned. Three times he was beaten with rods. Five times the 40 lashes minus one. 195 times he was lashed in the back. Like, I think Derek Thomas is the one who gave the illustration of if he was leading a youth group trip somewhere. In the, in the church van, get to the beach, he puts his swimsuit on, takes his shirt off, you would see his back and say, whoa, it would look hideous. His back would look hideous. He said, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. And yet Paul can say, sufferings of this life, his sufferings of this life, are not worthy to be compared to, to the glory. Because it's an eternal weight of glory that is to come. So he, he considers, he reckons, suffering is real, the pain is real. But I consider something else. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. It doesn't mean that the pain is not real. The pain is real. And we go through suffering. We cry and we weep and we go to the throne of grace and we pray for help and strength. But I think Derek Thomas said one of the things we need to do is we need to lift our gaze to heaven. It reminded me of Stephen. Stephen is, is about to get stoned. They're grinding their teeth at him. They're going to charge at him. And he doesn't look for an escape route. He looks up to heaven and God gives him this incredible vision. Behold, I see the heavens open and, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And it totally changes the way he is right there. He just overcome. Jesus is about to say, well done, good and faithful servant to, to Stephen. He prays for those that are killing him with his final breath. So I think we need to lift up our gaze to heaven. But I think, I think we need to prepare for suffering as well. Not all of us are maybe in as much suffering right now, but suffering is going to come for all of us. We need to prepare for suffering. So how can we maybe prepare for suffering, go on the offensive as I've talked about before? I think we need to make it a regular habit to think about the glory to come, which we're already talking about. We need, we need to make that a regular ha habit. Lloyd-Jones just said glorification. What, what does that mean? It means full and entire deliverance from sin and evil and all their effects in every respect, body and soul. The whole man will be completely and entirely delivered from every harmful effect of sin, every tarnishing, polluting effect of sin. So think about what, what is to come. But then I'm going to give you three things from a Puritan that I've been reading, and one of them is just foundational, which we know this, but I thought it just was so good. that This word of God is absolutely, utterly trustworthy. He said every word in Scripture concerning the inconceivable joys to come is the very word of the living God and will certainly be performed even to the smallest detail. I just love that. It is absolutely true and certain. God, who cannot lie, has promised this. So we got to get this down huge. And then two, two other little practical things. 
another help is to, this heavenly life is to be talking about it often. And this is why I'm so thankful for this guy right here. We just need to be talking about it more, talking about heaven, talking about how glorious it's going to be, how wonderful, ever-increasing joy. Just try to fill our regular conversations about heaven. And then he said, bathe your soul in heaven's delights. Drench your affections in these rivers of pleasure. A heavenly mind is a joyful mind. Again, Jerry Edgar is, is living proof of this. A heavenly mind is a joyful mind. But he, he talked about just going to heaven in your mind's eye. He said, picture yourself there. Picture the saints and, and hear them sing in your mind. Praise is to the Lamb slain. Like, go there and, oh, we just bathe our souls in heaven's delight. Talk about heaven. The Word of God is true, certain. Everything's going to come true. I think those things will help us uh, think about the glory of God. Don't you love that we're in the heavenlies already, Ephesians? Uh, verse 29, um, you guys that are through on your Thursday Bible study, that whoever taught the golden chain there, that we're already glorified. So it's as sure as we're there. So we need to operate like, like that. Like we're already experiencing it. And we can. We can through faith. Josh or Grant? You think about the, the verses we're looking at. We've been talking about adoption. We've been talking about these privileges of being heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. And you can almost imagine a reader saying, well, what about the suffering in my life? And Paul helps develop in the, you know, this is a really central place in the New Testament, but it's all over the New Testament, a theology of suffering, how we are to understand it, how we are to think through it. And one, I think going back to 17, just to touch on it, uh, he says, we're children, or 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, he's normalizing this suffering. The Christian life will be one of suffering. And I think for me personally, it was just helpful to, reconceptualize what are my expectations in this life because Paul would say suffering is guaranteed to come if you are a Christian if you have faith it will entail some suffering this is part of the cost of discipleship um, and it's you know we talked about the prosperity gospel but you know broadly speaking the prosperity teachers might say if you're suffering it's because you didn't have enough faith but biblically the biblical gospel the scriptures would say um, you suffer because you do have faith. We will experience suffering in this, in this world. And here's just a couple other verses across the New Testament. You mentioned it at the start, Jerry. 2 Timothy 2.12, all who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. Jesus in John 16, in the world you will have tribulation. Um, James 1, 2 through 4 that the Bro Bible Jr. just went through. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. 1 Peter 4, 12. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. And so I think um, we should expect suffering in this world. And, and hopefully it doesn't, if we do what Scott just mentioned for us, it doesn't catch us off guard as we prepare for it. That's good. There's four gems right there and there's another 40. I mean, it is when, not if, and we know that, right? We know that, so, but don't be surprised by it, Grant. Oh, no, I think that's so good, the, the do not be surprised about when the fire trial, that one's so good, because oftentimes that's my first response is, oh, this is shocking, like, you know, how could this be happening or whatever, <laughs> right. but it should be uh, expecting things like that, but um, I think it's very interesting that all things, I, I don't think Paul's focus here is to minimize the suffering. No. Uh, he, he does cause it call it light and momentary because it is but all things seem large until compared with something larger all things need to be normalized to the scale of eternal glory so I work a lot with different graphs and stuff uh, in my lab and sometimes you can be deceived if you compare two different graphs one can seem way larger to the other till you normalize them together and then you'll see 
with the scale being correct, the first one will go way down and the second one will go way back up and the correct view of being able to compare them to one another. And I think that's what Paul is getting at here is to see the weight of the glory and the sufferings will diminish. They're, yes, they're severe and they're right in front of you. And that's what you were talking about earlier is that's the struggle is to, because you feel them, they're here, they're physical, they can be really intense, but to see past them by faith, the eternal weight of glory that's coming. I think that's what Paul is getting at is Look towards the glory. See how glorious the glory that's coming is. And uh, the emphasis is not to minimize the sufferings, but to show the maximal pleasure and perfection of eternal glory that will be revealed to us. I think that's so important. Um, not to continue too far ahead and if you want to come back with, with the suffering, but I found it curious that um, Paul in verse 18 is, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then the next verse can kind of catch you off guard. Um, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. He goes back to creation, which I thought was so interesting because I think that's one of the great lies of our time, probably propagated by Hollywood, is this false view of what eternal life is really like. I think that can rob the Christian of hope and joy, and it will maximize the suffering because the thing that we're comparing it to is not actually that good. Um, Lots of white, uh, ephemeral existence as sort of a drifting spirit in the clouds, continually and evermore singing hymns uh, with lots of white, white robes. And some of that, you know, imagery is, is true, but I think that was what cheated me a lot, a lot when I was younger was I had this, not because I didn't hear the correct view, I just guess I had absorbed through the culture this false view of cherubs and this is really just, uh, I think, horrible view of what eternal life is really like and I bought that lie and it brought a lot of sadness because I knew that I did not desire that and at the time I was thinking I probably didn't desire it because I didn't have the Holy Spirit who would have changed my desires and that partly could have been true but I remember when I first came to North Avenue um, that was a huge teaching was Mark would go through these tangents on the storyline of the Bible in like five minutes in a condensed form and he did it at Jackson EMC I think a full talk on it the storyline of the whole Bible, getting to the redemption of all things, the new heavens, new earth, the resurrection of the dead, our new bodies, and then Scott followed him up with uh, the story of Jesus and the prostitute. So it was like this one-two combo of where we're going and then how, who, how we have access to it and who that person is and Jesus Christ brought by Scott. And that was a hugely impactful moment in my life. And I think that was, I don't know when I was becoming a Christian in that whole time period, but it was certainly impactful for me because I was thinking... Um, if all that stuff I had been presented with and I, my view of heaven, if, if that's eternal life, how can I desire that? How can that be hopeful when I'm experiencing suffering? Um, but I had bought the lie that somehow um, that God the creator of all that I found beautiful would end his story with something somehow less than beautiful. That somehow he would be less creative and redemptive at the end than he was at the beginning. And so I had this false view that I think can just completely rob our joy and hope and we will see that uh, going forward that that's part of the Christian's hope is knowing that this is coming for us the, re the revealing of our adoption with the re uh, resurrection of our bodies the renewal of our bodies so I thought it was very interesting but that he goes to the creation so I think Paul is getting here that he's going to be describing the new heavens and the new earth it's not just going to be ex uh, existence as just a soul in heaven but there will be a created new earth with a resurrected body. It will not just be a, a bodiless experience. It will be a spiritual body. It will be different. Um, some people say that the creation here is not talking about uh, the created 
all the natural things, uh, nature, what we would call. I don't think that's um, very convincing uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, in verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So we get this whisper of separation between the children of God, the coming glory, and the bondage of corruption that the creation is uh, subjected to in verse 20. And then the separation is expanded, I think, in verse uh, 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together <clears throat> in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait for the eagerly for the adoption of the Son. So there's this separation between the creation, which I think is natural created world, uh, all the things from Genesis 1 that were subjected to bondage of corruption when the curse came, and those of us who have the first fruits of the Spirit, so the believers. So I think there's this separation. So Paul is getting at the renewal of the natural world, the new, new earth part of the new heavens <clears throat> and the new earth. Um, any thoughts on that, or you want me to keep going? Oh, man, no, I do want to keep going, but you have to say, I mean, if you're like me, I love it down here in a 100,000 ways, right? Now, I know I cannot wait to get away from my own sin and sin in general, and I know we're in a, in a fallen world, but, man, you talk about just a great place to live. That's this earth, right? I mean, how do the trees give us what we're supposed to breathe and we give them what they're supposed to? There's a bunch of crazy stuff happening continually out there, right? The sunsets, the thunderstorms. The, you look at general revelation. So, Grant, I love your point. Please, please, please don't hear us saying that your sufferings are not a huge deal. They are. And, and, and absolutely. But when compared to what's coming, that's when they become light and momentary. And certainly in comparison to what Christ went through, they're light and momentary. But when we think about eternity and what we have to look forward to, and um, for our Lord, someone said, I don't know that this is a wise way to compare, but it was an interesting way to think about it. He uh, made the, the world in six days, right? Uh, and rested on the seventh day. And um, now he's waited 2,000 years preparing a place for us. What's that going to be like if there's been a 2,000 years of, of working on I don't think that's wise to compare god can make it in six minutes right but to think about what's to come is extraordinary i find it fascinating the whole world all of creation waits in eager expectation of that day they're all waiting for it christ is coming back they're pretty sure that the sun's coming up again tomorrow because it always does that something like six something tomorrow probably but way more sure is that there's going to be hell and there's going to be heaven and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth for those who love him and God's wrath is poured out on those who reject him. That's what we know even more sure. We have the word that tells us we are even more sure of what we see because by faith we know that this is true. And if you go back to Hebrews 11, those people in the faith chapter why, how did they persevere through their trials? By looking ahead. They were looking forward to a new city. They were looking ahead. Abraham, Noah, everybody was looking ahead because they knew what was coming. Um, and 
How amazing that not only <coughs> does creation long for it, but we long for it as well. I think seven times in the New <coughs> Testament, I wish I could go to all of them, we eagerly await our Savior from there. There are citizenships in heaven. And and that's and we eagerly await our Savior from there. And over and over, we eagerly await in that 19, 20, 21 in there, Scott? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's almost like the creation. So many people were saying it's like standing on tiptoes. It's like somebody, like the big crowd of people, they're trying maybe a golf match, and you got like six rows deep, and then somebody's in the, I think single person use that. You're, you're on your tiptoes trying to see. That's creation is trying to see. It's a revealing of the sons of God. That's pretty extraordinary what it's longing for. But one guy just said, the, talking, he thinks that Paul's thinking about the curse in Genesis 3. He said the curse from Genesis 3 goes into Adam and Eve. That curse goes all the way into the ground, right into the very thorns that will spring from the ground. The curse goes all the way to the creation itself. So what does creation do? Creation moans and groans to have that heavy burden of that curse lifted off. But then somebody said it's, it's birth pains. It's not death pains. It's such a huge difference. It's birth pains. And this one pastor gave the illustration of his wife pregnant with their second daughter. Her second child was a, was a daughter. And she was about eight months along. And all of a sudden she had all kinds of pain. It was a Sunday night. They rush her to the hospital. They're trying to figure out what's going on. And then the doctor said something like, if we don't get this baby out now, you know, the baby's going to die. And so they said that it just happened so fast. They got in there and he was holding his wife's hand. They're, they're trying to get this baby out. And he said that his wife was weeping and crying and screaming as he held her hand. And then they get the baby out. He cut, they cut the umbilical cord. There's their daughter, Natalie. He said he was holding the daughter. And his wife said, how does she look, is what she said. Like, all the pain, all the tears were, were forgotten and, and because it was, it was, it was uh, birth pains. It's waiting for, it's just the, the, the creation is long, it's birth pains, it's not death pains. It's, what's coming is so incredibly stupendous that it's going to involve the entire created order, just like Grant is talking about. I mean, again, do we have a handle on what is to come? It's not like we're floating around with harps and that, that vision is just so horrible. It's like, no, it's resurrected bodies, we cannot sin. I was thinking about you guys when y'all went to hiking, it was Utah or something like that. Y'all were hiking, and could y'all just talk about it? You, they came over the edge, and like there was this like flat. Like y'all can just talk about that, and that, that's in a fallen world. It's gonna be like that times, you know, so much. But just maybe a, that trip. I love Grant. <laughs> he can describe it so yeah. well. I, I mean, we were hiking in Colorado, and we had been going up this slope for most of the day uh, to go over this uh, Pawnee Pass. I think it was called, maybe Buchanan Pass. I don't remember which one, but. So it's just rocks and some beautiful things and some marmots and pikas, stuff like that. Just the general mountain uh, kind of environment. And we came over the pass. It was really rugged, snow and rocks. And then we came over and looked down into this huge bowl of a valley with a big lake. And all the way down <clears throat> was just super green, lush uh, valley full to the brim of wildflowers and wildlife. Just all different types of wildflowers just vividly colored looked like it was painted um, different blues this like super striking red flower I think it's Indian paintbrush is what it's called just super striking everywhere uh, this beautiful lake with all these butterflies and stuff and we were just walking through it uh, like waist deep in all these flowers for like 30 minutes walking down into the valley to set up our campsite and that is one of the most stunning things I have I have ever seen and to think that that's in a fallen world can't imagine what it would be like renewed it's it's truly amazing any, any other thoughts on it? it was you did it justice yeah, it, was, it was absolutely stunning beautiful no it's when you think about that that's what's coming um from 20 and 21 22 scott uh grant um texted this in the in the group chat that our goal today was to let um scott give us more than 10 percent of our notes 
because right now we're averaging 6% when Scott's here. Scott really tells us 6% of what he has on those gems He's right there. No, no, <laughs> I, I, I think I mean, that's true. true, but your part is Yeah, true. well, I want to hear more from these from these coming up verses because, um, I, I, to be honest, I skipped 19 to 25 because I'm just so excited about the rest of it, and I shouldn't do that. But oftentimes I've made too little of 19 to 25 really on a hurry to get to verse 26. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so where, where exactly do you want me to focus on? Again, man. Anywhere in there. I'm okay. just happy with everything. Okay. I mean, again, the creation groaning. Uh, Ferguson just said, he said, do you hear the mighty groan of creation and the sighing of the wind and the groaning of the animals? Those are but echoes of the groans within the heart of God's true children. We necessarily long and groan for that day when God completes the work he has begun within us. I mean, I think we, we all feel that. Like, that we're longing, we're groaning for, for our redemptive bodies, the full, like Christ has paid for our adoption in full, but we haven't received the, all the privileges of it. It, it is to come. I and mean, there is a sense in which we, we long to be free from, from this fallen world. I long to be free from sin. I think, Joe, you've talked about it. You, you can't wait to get out of your wheelchair, not because the wheelchair, but because you don't want to dishonor God ever again. It's like there is that groaning and longing, but it, like it is to come. Like today we're one day closer than, than we've ever been. And I just think Again, I just come back to thinking about this. We, we need to think about heaven consistently, more regularly, because I, I think it's, it's a failure in my own life that I don't think about it as I ought to think. And if, just like hearing Grant talk about that, I, how glorious it will be. I mean, think about seeing Christ, the risen Christ. I mean, I think about Thomas when he, he wasn't there, when, the, when he appeared, and then like he's still doubting and he's still thinking, where's Jesus? And Jesus shows up and he's like, put your hands here. And he's like, I will do that to the resurrected Jesus. I put my hands there and, my hand, like, and be with him forever. Uh, this is so glorious and so wonderful that uh, we would do well to think about it more regularly and talk mm-hmm. about it, and it will just stir us to excitement about it. it will just, we won't play around with sin. We want to get after it while we're here because we're so close to return. Yeah. There's a groaning for because of sin. Yeah, there's we're getting to Romans 13, certainly. No more time to sin, right? We're coming, <clears throat> coming to that passage. 24 and 25, Grant, I want to hear uh, you on hope here. For in this hope we were saved, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so hope in the New Testament is not the same as I hope, um, I don't know, I hope we have a good week or something like that. It's an expectation of something that is sure to happen. Right? It's an expectation. We know faith and love spring from this hope according to Titus 1. Faith and love spring from this hope. If our hope is wrong, if our hope is in something down here, then our faith and love are not going to be right. Right? Our hope has to be in the eternal. Our hope is in Jesus and Christ alone. There's no hope outside of him. And I think the longer we live down here, the more we're persuaded, aren't we, that this is not as good as it gets. This can't be. There's something way better to look forward to. And we and three times there, that word hope, that scripturally is an expectation of something that's sure to happen, that's what we look to. That's what we're looking forward to. And hope is always something that points us to the future, right? Yeah, I guess I just want to go back a little bit, but still talking about hope to say, like, what are we actually hoping in? Because he says, for this hope we were saved. And I think it's the... Um, redemption of our bodies the the manifestation of us being sons of God because we are adopted we are God's children now 
but that will be revealed, I think, when our bodies are made new. That will be the proof that we were sons of God. That there will be the separation from the tares and the wheat, from the sheep and the goats, and the true sons of God will be revealed as the sons of God by their redemptive, redemptive bodies. And there will be a new earth that we will be uh, interacting with one another. We'll see Christ as he is, because we'll be like him. Um, we will interact with one another without a capacity to sin. It's hard to even imagine what that will be like. Um, no sin around us, um, no capacity to sin in us. I, I don't know how to describe that. With I, I think of the, the difference in interacting with non-believers versus a regenerate person who has the Spirit in them, how drastic that change is, and how pleasant it is to be here and interact and fellowship with uh, true believers. The degree to which that will just be ramped up when there's no capacity for us to, like you said, we will all be, we'll quit the nonsense. We'll quit the nonsense. We'll be in a land full of righteousness. Um, and I think the model of this is Christ's resurrection, um, his resurrection body and how he appeared. You could still see the nail marks in his hands. Scott, you were just talking about that. And we'll be able to see him. And I think, you know, First John, uh, John is talking about this in First John, I think, where he says, uh, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Mm. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I think he's saying very similar things, that this is the hope that we were saved in. Uh, the redemption of our bodies. And just a few things from Ligonier about the Christ's resurrection and what we can learn from that for what's to come for us. Um, with the pattern of Christ's resurrection in view, we can draw some conclusions about the future. Christ's resurrection body is a transformation and transfiguration of his pre-resurrection body. There is both change and recognizable continuity. The disciples saw the nail prints in his hands. Likewise, the new heaven and the new earth of Revelation 21.1 do not mean starting over from scratch, but involve a kind of resurrection or transfiguration of the present creation. God will eliminate not only sin, but all effects of the fall. God will bring the original creation of Genesis 1 to its consummation rather than simply returning us to Adam's pre-fall state. Since Christ's resurrection body can be seen and touched, the new creation also includes a real physical aspect. The Bible sees the physical aspect as a good creation of God rather than something to be despised or thrown off in order to be pure. Our resurrection does not remove us from contact with the larger creation, but is in harmony with the transfiguration of creation as a whole, a transfiguration that brings both, uh, brings both of us and the lower creation into a new and glorified world. And the last one, the glory of God will be displayed magnificently in the new creation in a way analogous to the glory of Christ's resurrection body and the glory of our resurrection bodies in the image of Christ. All of these serve the glory and praise of God. And I, I just want to really quickly read this one little quick uh, quote from this book that I found very interesting, um, talking about the Christ who was our Lord after he was raised. Uh, this author says, The Gnostic solution is always to etherize the resurrection, making it ghostly. This gets at the Sadducean taunt, but at far too high a cost. We lose the materiality of the created order, which the scriptures require us to see as established forever. Jesus rummaged in the fridge after his resurrection, ate some honeycomb and broiled fish, and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Ghosts don't eat honeycomb, and so this shed light, shed light on Paul's comment that both food and stomach will be destroyed. Destroyed, yes, but how and in what direction? We tend to interpret destruction as annihilation rather than death 
followed by glorious resurrection. So it will be, and then he said, Christ passed through the wall in the upper room, yet he was able to eat while there. This is a problem for us because it never occurs to us that he passed through a wall because the wall was ghostly and not because Christ's resurrection body was. Then we wonder how a ghost could eat a fish, but the real problem is how that ghostly fish could have satisfied a true man. I just found that so incredible that, yes, it will be different, but it will be a change of what uh, is still a physical, spiritual, uh, a spiritual renewed body. I found that so interesting. It will be truer and better than we could have ever imagined, not uh, just the best version of what we can picture here, but beyond that, beyond all comparison. Yeah. Live your best life now doesn't really work. No, not quite. No. Josh? Can I ask you a question? We've been talking about the, <laughs> the, the, the glory that's to be revealed, how we should weigh that in the balance with suffering. I mean, what do we stand to lose if we don't think about suffering in this light? Yeah. I just think we're cranky. I am. You know, and just rob everybody around us of the joy that should be apparent in believers because there's no reason for us to focus on the suffering. It's absolutely sin when we are focused on the suffering. And I am there way too often. I don't want to go there anymore. And there's so much ammunition given to us in Scripture, but we're going to have to live by faith rather than by sight, which means that we're going to have to meditate on the Word day and night and observe to do according to all that's written therein. Then He'll make our way prosperous. Then we'll be able to think with an eternal perspective, right? Jesus prayed that for us. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. And so when my mind is not, or ours, I think, is not in the word of God, not meditating here, we're going to gravitate toward what we can see. And that's not living by faith. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing by the word of God has to be that meditated. So what we're missing out on is the joy that the Lord has for us and the ministry that he has to everybody else. Because when people see Casey go through the suffering she's gone through, and they say, Casey, how, how does that, how do you do that? How does that work? Casey has that opportunity to share Christ and to share, I have to keep my eyes um, on Jesus. There's one, I guess, two things to, to close. One is um, the heavens, the new heavens and new earth, um, I know the other Sunday school class is going through that maybe today or next week. So um, if you get a chance to listen to that, that will be incredible. The other is a super sad story to close with um, and not to, to end on a down note. But I think we just have to, when we're thinking about eternity, think about the shortness of this life, the length of eternity. Uh, a good friend at school this week um, lost both his grandpa and his step-grandpa, his mom's dad, and his mom's stepdad, right after each other, like three days apart. Mom was at the funeral for one, the next day I think the, the other one died, and I think the second funeral's today. Neither of them knew the Lord Jesus. And talking to my friend, it was just so sad. There was no, there was no hope. There was no hope in that. For either of those men that are now uh, spending eternity in hell and will have no other opportunities for the rest, never experience God's love and goodness again. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, and they're never they're gonna never get that again. It just I I didn't even know how to process it. 
I thought about my own parents, that when they died, that's what they had been eagerly awaiting for. They're in heaven. They can't wait, couldn't wait to get there. And now they're experiencing, at least to some degree, probably before the resurrected body, but they're already experiencing. They see him. They're like, they're like him, for they'll see him as he is, like Josh read. And so today, for all the shoulders of people that you'll rub this week that have yet to know the Savior, show them Christ. Talk to them about Christ. As I hear this, these stories and think about people that are going to hell for eternity, it is um, so hopeless compared to what we have to look forward to. Scott, can you pray? Sure. Heavenly Father, as we think about uh, what Jerry has just said, the, the weight of our sin and hell and judgment, um, Father, uh, sin is infinitely offensive, and uh, all of us deserve hell. That's certainly true. We, we deserve uh, what those two men uh, are receiving now. And so, so, Father, we are so thankful for the gospel. We're so thankful for the Lord Jesus, that he has come and he has died and he has been raised from the dead. And we're so thankful for the fact that we have been adopted and uh, forgiven, uh, redeemed uh, by you. Uh, I think of First Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's caused us to be born again. We, we are amazed at salvation and, and we're amazed about this inheritance that's kept for us. It's undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. It is absolutely certain and sure. Father, help us to live in light of this glory that is to come. Uh, help us to, to weigh our sufferings in light of this eternal weight of glory. Help us to regularly think about heaven. Help us to be eternally minded uh, day in and day out. Help us to delight to talk about heaven and the future that is to come and help us to be genuinely excited and joyful in our lives, even in suffering. Help us to have this radiant hope and joy so that people will ha ask us for the reason for the hope that is in us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 26 and 27 uh, next week, Lord willing. Really incredible with the ministry of the Holy Spirit in you. And uh, Sorry about it. it. Sounds like the helicopter is about ready to take off in the back of the room. Sorry about the noise back there. But uh, thank you so much. Feast on uh, eternal uh, things this week.